I'm going to start today's service with a warning label. You know, recently in one of the recent prophecies, the Lord said something that kind of startled me and Tim both. Because he said he's going to start talking to us like adults. And uh, that's good, but that's scary too. And uh, he also told me, I have an assignment right now that I'm working through from him. You don't have to turn to this verse, but uh, Psalms 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And it should be obvious that our the foundations of not only this nation, but uh, is full steam ahead. They're trying to destroy the foundations of our civilization. And then the Holy Spirit got it across to me more than that. It's way worse than that. The, the target is not really America. The target is Christianity. It really is. Because this one world government, which will eventually happen, it's in the book of Revelations. I mean, it's going to happen. That doesn't mean we have to help it. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> it cannot happen without destroying Christianity. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. They've got a, in order to bring this about, it's got to destroy Christianity. That's really the target. So they're coming after you, Christian. Coming after you. Better wise up. And he also said this to me personally now as a teacher. He said, uh, I'm quoting Bonhoeffer. He didn't really quote Bonhoeffer, but he, the way he said it to me, it was the same thing. He said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Cowardice is to remain silent when the enemy is is doing everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy. So as they attack the foundations, my job as a teacher is to teach the truth. Jesus said, Lord, he said, Father, sanctify them. Sanctify means set them apart. Your people must be set apart from the world. How? Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is Truth. So here's the warning label. We've already had two teachings with the, where the first word is foundations and then a title. And I'm doing my very best to keep them PG because I know uh, not only here at the church, sometimes we have children in the nursery and the sound is in there as well. Then many people at home, you know, they watch these YouTube videos with their children in the room. So I'm giving you a warning now because I wanted to still do my best. To make them PG as best I can. But, <laughs> like today, I, I'll just tell you ahead of time, today we're going to talk about abortion. What? See how quiet that was when I said that word? And we're strictly from the Bible. Not anything else. Not, nothing else. Just strictly what does the Bible say? Truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. So if you've got young children, and we're going to, we're going to mention the word fetus, we're going to mention other words that if you're real little and you think that's not appropriate, then you ought, you might, this is the warning label. You might want to preview this ahead of time. I think you'll want to play it for them later. You might not though. So that's not my job. My job is to put a warning label on here. So on this message and any future ones where the first word is foundations dash whatever title, this is your warning label. <laughs> you might want to preview that first. Okay. And, uh, but still yet, I'm going to do my absolute best to keep the messages PG. Now, that being said, 
Many parents would not let, and I think probably appropriately, let their children, little children, read Isaiah. Because it mentions things in there that I'm not even going to mention now in case your children are watching. But if you read it, you probably wouldn't let your little children read it. Okay? But can we leave the book of Isaiah out of our doctrine? No. He's talking to us as adults. Okay, that's enough of the warning label. I hope I made my point. This lesson and future ones, when the first word is foundations, dash, whatever title, just know you might want to preview that one, parent, before your child hears it, even though I'm absolutely going to do my best to keep everything PG, you know. All right. With that, are you ready? <laughs> and uh, I'm only going to keep you three hours. Don't worry. Then Alan's, then Alan's going to start. <laughs> Not really. We'll see how far we can get today. <clears throat> I don't even know yet what title exactly. But I know the subject is abortion. Mm. What is the legal definition of a fetus? Let's start there because the great deception that's in the land is that if you have an abortion, you're not really aborting a human. You're aborting a fetus. That's the term that they use. So I looked the word up just to have the legal definition of a fetus. Okay, A fetus, is, and you can... Um, by the way, on YouTube, we'll have all anything that I reference, we'll have a, a, the link for you. So you can look it up for yourself. This one is from uslegal.com. So this is not, you know, it's not like a pro-life thing. It's just uslegal.com. The legal definition of a fetus. A fetus is typically defined as a developing human at a certain point after conception to birth. The Federal Born Alive Infant Protection Act of 2002 amends the legal definitions of person, human being, child, and individual to include any fetus that survives an abortion procedure. Did you hear that? The federal law requires doctors to attempt to keep alive a fetus that survives an abortion. Now, that's a direct quote from uslegal.com. Now, this is my comment. What that's saying, by legal definition, a fetus that survives an abortion procedure legally is a person, a human being, a child, an individual. But if that same fetus is successfully aborted while in the womb, it is not a person. A human, a child, an individual. It's ridiculous right on the surface, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Now, <clears throat> hallelujah. We may get into science later. Um, let me just say this ahead of time, too. Real science. And a proper understanding of the Bible will never be in conflict. Because God created nature. And they'll never be in conflict because God created it. And the word agrees with real science. 
What do you mean by real science? Well, we're, we're, we finally catch up to the truth that God knew all the time. You know, used to, they thought the, the earth was the center of the universe and the sun revolved around it. Well, that's just, that's not even what the Bible says, you know, but eventually science caught up their understanding and said, oh, you know, see, in the book of Job, you can find out God hung the world on nothing. <laughs> There's, there's truth for you. Anyway, that, that's not today's lesson. But real, proper understand, when science catches up, it always agrees with the Bible. And when theology catches up, see, a lot, a lot of times we have a wrong understanding of the Bible. The Bible's true the whole time, but our understanding of it's wrong. That's free. <laughs> now, we're going to have a lot of scripture today. Uh, you don't necessarily have to turn to these. I'm going to read each one. Uh, but you might want to make note of them because I think God's going to, as this revival breaks out, you're going to be discipling a lot of people. It has to happen. If if a billion people or more than a minimum of a billion people are about to be born again, we're going to need a whole lot of disciples going from house to house and learning the truth of the apostles' doctrine, which is Jesus' doctrine. So you might want to write these down, or either now or later on, so you can help people. All right. So this segment is called You in the Womb. You in the Womb. Okay. And I, I, I wrote this. The official legal position in the USA today is that an abortion is the removing of a fetus, not the murder of a human being. That's the legal position. Now, regardless of current laws, that's the current law, but regardless of current laws, what does the Bible say about the unborn in the womb? All right. Turn to, you can uh, turn there or write these down. Judges chapter 13 and verse 5. This is talking about Samson. For lo... Talking to Samson's mother before, before he's even conceived. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come on his head. For the child, not fetus, excuse me. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel. Out of the hand of the Philistines. Now here's the question for you. This lady's not even pregnant yet. God's telling her what's about to happen. So she's going to get pregnant, isn't she? Now if she chooses to have an abortion, is she going to abort a fetus? Or is she going to murder Samson? See, my body, my choice. What about Samson's body? The Bible's real clear. This is Samson. That mother is responsible for nutrition and health and doing everything she can. Now, you know, things happen, miscarriages happen, but she's, she's responsible for her to do her part and to obey the Lord regarding this child. And if she aborts him, it's not a fetus, it's the murder of Samson. All right, how about another one? Isaiah 49, verse 1. How many think Isaiah is a little bit important to history? 
fairly, fairly well-known prophet, you know. I think God used him. Isaiah 49.1 says, Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken, you people, from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. Now again, I'm going to ask the same question. If the mother of Isaiah chose somewhere during her pregnancy to abort him, is she aborting a fetus? Or is she murdering Isaiah? I know that's hard words, but it's, it's what it is. It's the murder of Isaiah. My choice, my body. What about Isaiah's body? How about another one? Another, about Jeremiah. So chapter 1, verse 5, God says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Is that a, does that sound like a fetus to you? That sound like somebody God knows? Before they came out of the womb? I read that part again. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So again, if that mother would have aborted that child. She's not aborting a fetus. She's murdering Jeremiah. How would history be different without Isaiah, without Jeremiah? Let's get a little more modern term. This is talking about John the Baptist. An angel, as you know, if you read the story, shut the mouth of the father Zacharias because he doubted. Remember that? You're not saying nothing. Now the verse, Luke one forty one, says it came to pass that when Elizabeth, now she's six months pregnant, heard the salutation of Mary, who was only a few weeks pregnant, the babe, that's John, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. That baby in the womb, John the Baptist, when Mary arrived, which is Jesus in Mary, and he's only weeks in the womb. John the Baptist went, woohoo! <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so I wrote here, an angel shut the mouth of the father Zacharias because he doubted. And I, this is just Gary speculating. I wonder what that angel would have done if either one of them had considered aborting John the Baptist. Think about that. I'm going to shut your mouth. You are not going to interfere with this. This has to happen. Well, what if after she's pregnant, they're even toying with the idea of aborting John the Baptist. I don't even know what would happen there. Can you imagine? John the Baptist is the one. Jesus said about him, born of woman.
There has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. John is the one from prophesied from Old Testament. He is the one that would come ahead. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. He is the messenger. Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. You're going to abort that per- You're going to murder him? I believe some angels would have showed up on that one. Well, let's go one more. An angel also appeared to Mary before she was pregnant. Told her what was going to happen. Basically told her she was going to give birth to the Messiah. Now she didn't know how it would happen. She wasn't really doubting. She just didn't know how it could happen. So he told her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee and overshadow thee, and that holy thing conceived in you. His name shall be Emmanuel. God with us. You shall call his name Jesus. Now what if, now I know it's hard to even contemplate, but it could have happened. You know, Mary took a lot of, uh, and Joseph took a lot of abuse. You can imagine a teenage girl and engaged and she turns up pregnant. Well, you know what everybody thought. You know what everybody thought. Sure, the Holy Ghost came on you. Sure, he did. You know. Joseph, at one point, was going to put her away privately. You know. Because I don't think he believed it either at the beginning. So a lot of pressure is what I'm saying for her to get that child aborted. Can you imagine if she would have aborted would that have been a fetus? She would have murdered the Savior of the world. It's ridiculous, this deception that is so prevalent in Christianity. And it's because we don't read the Bible. I'm not giving you anything but Scripture here. This whole thing about that's not a person. You can't read your Bible and believe that. Got one more. And that's the Apostle Paul. Galatians 1.15, Paul writing, and he says, Now this one I'm going to give you out of the King James, and then I'm going to give it to you out of the Amplified. Because the Greek language carries a little more detail on this one, for sure. Galatians 1.15, Paul writing, he says, but, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace. I'll just stop there. Now, see, you could read that to mean, well, separated me from my mother's womb. I wasn't sure. Maybe that means when he was born. But see, the Greek language is very specific. And the Amplified gives it to us what the Greek actually says. Let me read that verse to you out of the Amplified. But when he, God, who had chosen and set me apart even before I was born. Now that's what the Greek said. Even before I was born. And called me by his grace. 
Now, if the mother of Saul of Tarsus had had an abortion, she would not have been discharging a fetus. She would have murdered the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of our New Testament. The most dangerous person alive after Jesus labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Thank God for the Apostle Paul. And he could have been aborted. But it certainly would not have been aborting a fetus. It would have been murder straight out. Now, with that knowledge now, since Roe v. Wade was passed, estimates vary, but just in this nation, not counting around the world, Somewhere between 60 to 70 million abortions have legally occurred in this nation. So I was wondering, praying, 60 to 70 million. I wonder if one of them might have been the one that would have discovered the cure to cancer by now. Who knows? How many of them might have invented things that would greatly help the spread of the gospel or other things today? Inventors. How many of them? 60 to 70 million. How many of, how many apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, helps, governments? How many were murdered because it was just a fetus? was not a fetus. I wonder how many of them might have been gifted as gospel entrepreneurs. People actually called to put billions into the kingdom of God that people might be saved, fed and clothed around the world. Now I'm going to say it again because not everybody knows the history. Sue and I, before we got saved, we paid for a teenage girl to have an abortion. Thought we were just as deceived as anybody else. Even though I was raised in church, I, I did not understand what the things that we've been talking about today. And we thought we was doing the right thing, helping this girl. She got pregnant out of wedlock, of course, and and so we paid. I still can't hardly talk about it. Yeah. We paid a hitman doctor to murder. A person. After I got saved, and I, many years ago, after I got saved and understood to some detail what I know now, I still remember the day that the Lord brought it back to me. Once I understood that abortion is murder, I still remember the day it hit me. I've been a Christian for a long time, and it still hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, "Oh God!" Even to that point, I had no conscience about it because we just paid for a fetus to be removed you know helping that girl but until that moment I didn't realize I said oh my god Sue and I talked about it I said we 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 paid for a murder we had somebody killed and we paid for it we're as guilty as the guy who did it now I'm going to read you a real good verse (laughs) Mark chapter 3, verse 28. 
Jesus. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. All sins. I love how Pastor Dave would say, you know, we don't, we have a hard time believing it, but even Hitler could have been saved. Right on his deathbed, Dave would tell us, he said, I have no doubt at all, right to his last breath, the Holy Spirit was trying to reach him. While there's breath, while there's life, there's hope. Because Jesus paid it all. He really did. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. See, that's one of the things, because of what Sue and I did, that may, why I say often, yes, every sin can be forgiven. But that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. Because that person we paid to have killed is still dead. I can't, I can't do anything about that. So I have to believe First John 1, 9. I have to. I have to believe it. That if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just because of the price my Savior paid. Not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'll stand before God because of the blood like I never did it. And Jesus already paid for it. God, what a God we serve. But it's still weighs heavy on my heart. It still weighs heavy. It's not guilt. It's remorse. This is part of the mourning I think Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those that mourn. I mourn for this world, this fallen world. And I mourn for Christianity that doesn't know the truth. And I'm part of it. I was part of it. But I'm blessed God I'll never pay for another one. <laughs> All you can do is repent. You can't change the past. And the woman... When I was sharing this with Sue last night, and I told her, I said, I don't know how far I'll get to go. She said, so many women, it's not even their idea to have the abortion. They get pressured by their boyfriend, by their husband. Well, they're just as guilty. In a minute here, we're going to look at, uh, at some more Old Testament where God laid the found work talking about the shedding of innocent blood. And of course, the first evidence we have, the first example of that we have is when Cain slew Abel. Human blood, not, okay. God killed a, an animal of some kind, sacrificed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve. That's the first death. But human death, the first murder, was when Cain slew Abel. But the, I didn't write this part down. You can search it out for yourself. The first time the phrase, innocent blood, is used in the Bible, in the King James is back when God was instructing Israel to set up, uh, not safe houses, what was cities of refuge. And he started off with three, but then he wanted them to build more. Now, what was a city of refuge? Well, that was not for murderers. It was for man, manslaughterers. You accidentally did something that resulted in somebody else's death. You didn't hate them. You didn't plot a murder. You didn't intend to kill them. And he even gave an example. For, and the Lord gave this example. As an example, if you've got men working in a forest and they're cutting down trees and the axe head comes off the axe and hits, hits the neighbor and kills him, well, that's not murder. That's an accident. 
But see, that guy's relatives might want to kill you. And and God, that's the term where it uses, that would be the shedding of innocent blood. See? Because you didn't intend to kill the guy. God doesn't count you a murderer, but they might. <laughs> you got it? So he wanted these cities of refuge where they could escape the avenger, the relatives that might want to kill them. Because God said that would to kill that guy for that, that would be the shedding of innocent blood. So it starts there. Hallelujah. Okay. You might want to look this one up. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 19. Now we're coming into this segment... Hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6. Let's look at verses 16 through 19. These six things does the Lord hate. You don't find the Lord hating very often. You look that word up, it means just what you think. He hates these things. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He starts listing them. A proud look. You know, that almost seems tame in our current knowledge. But what was the original sin? Before there was a heaven and an earth, before there was an earth, rather. Pride. Lucifer going to exalt himself above God. So number one on God's list of things he hates. A proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. You can take that with Lucifer too, because Lucifer got a third of the angels to go with him by telling them lies. Did you ever think about that? Original sin, the original, original sin. Pride. And lying. But now the third on the list. Third on this list. I don't know that it's necessarily in order. But. Might be. Hands. That shed innocent blood. God hates that. Hands that shed innocent blood. I'm going to read the rest of it. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaks lies. And he that sows discord among the brethren. Never seen that in church. (laughs) He mockingly said. Third on the list. Hands that shed innocent blood. Now the first example of that in the Bible again is when Cain slew Abel. That was murder dead out. Pure and simple. Right? And then we talked about manslaughter, which sometimes you might do something and accidentally somebody gets killed. But God doesn't put that in the same bracket as murder because you didn't do it intentionally. And there was no hate in your heart. It's just an accident. But the person that commits the manslaughter, the, the relatives of the guy who died, they might come try and kill you. And God, he made provision for that. He said, no, that would be the shedding of innocent blood. And he, and he made those cities of refuge for them. But now eventually, this same phrase, the shedding of innocent blood, in fact, I'm going to give it to you first before I give you some examples. It came to also include the killing of children because Israel eventually fell into the same practice as the Canaanites and the Amorites and they began offering their children to the God, to the demon that they called a God, Molech. He also went by other names. C-H-E-M-O-S-H, Chemosh maybe, and some other names. But they, Israel, in fact, if you really read, he had me on a thing here recently, where a thing, he had me on assignment 
to read again First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and all of the prophets associated with that time period, which is most of them. And I was astounded at the things I had. I saw that I had not seen. I wasn't mature enough, I guess, to see it before. God says, you know what God says about Israel? More than once. He says, you have become worse than the nations that I drove out to give you this land. You have become worse than them. And God still sent prophet after prophet trying to rescue them. And even after the northern kingdom fell for another hundred and some odd years, he still sent prophet after prophet trying to get Judah to repent. But eventually, judgment couldn't be held off any longer. God is good. He gives us space to repent, but he doesn't give you forever to repent. Oh, I'm going to read you the verse. Because I want you to see that this innocent blood is applied to children being offered Why would they offer up their children to Molech? They want the blessing of this Molech. How demonic is it? A week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, in a service, I read you from um, Malachi. Why, Why, you know, we were talking about why did God make them male and female? And why did he make them in such a way that they could unite? PG. That they could unite and produce... Well, he tells you in Malachi, he says, if you want to look it up later, Malachi 2.15, And did not he make one, in other words, out of the two, make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? Why did God make it? Why did he make male and female so the two of them could be together as one? That he might seek a godly seed. Children. That was God's purpose from the beginning. Male and female made he them go and replenish the earth. I mean, it's... So therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So how demonic is it when God's whole purpose in making male and female the way he made them so they could produce children, that's what God is after. How demonic is it for the Satan to twist that around to the religion even in Israel? No, what pleases God is when you take your children and offer them, pass them through the fire and kill them. Make them an offering to God. How demonic is that? It is the exact opposite of God's purpose, which is what the devil does. Well, one of the worst kings in all of that time period was King Manasseh. And you can look these up or look them up now if you want to. Oh, did I? I never did read Psalms, did I? <laughs> because I want you to see that this innocent blood doesn't just apply to the murder of adults. That phrase, innocent blood, when he said, God hands that shed innocent blood, he's talking about these kids offered up to Molech. Today, it would be kids offered up on abortion. Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38. Yea, they, and he's talking about Israel, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters Unto devils, verse 38, and shed innocent blood. There's our words. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. 
these six things does the Lord hate. And one of them is the shedding of innocent blood. Bad enough when you murder somebody innocent. Abel was absolutely innocent. He didn't do it. We have no record he did anything wrong at all. Pure murder. It's shedding of innocent blood. Well, if, they, if, they, if, if Abel was innocent, what about a child? These children were already born and offered. When I, when I taught on that, I don't know, whenever, when I taught about Molech, do you remember Molech? They built a, a brass or a brazen or a metal. It was metal of some kind that they could do at the time. A hollowed out bull. It was a bull. And he had his arms outstretched like this. But he was hollow on the inside. And from the back they could load it up with wood or coal or whatever they had. And they would heat that thing up to where it's glowing hot. They would take their babies. Or maybe a young child even. And they would present it. They would lay it in the red-hot arms of that statue. And at the moment they laid the child there, the trumpets would sound. Why that? So that you couldn't hear the screams of the children. Then they worshiped God like He was pleased with that. God, help us all. Solomon built an altar to Molech on a hill that faces the temple. It's like in your face, God, we will offer these children. God. Well, one of the worst, King Asa, from what I could tell, was the first one to offer one of his children to Molech. Later on, there was another king named Manasseh, and he is one of the worst kings of all. Ahab was bad, Manasseh was bad, a lot of them were bad. So 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 6. And it says, And he, now that's Manasseh, he made his son pass through the fire. His own son offered him, made him pass through the fire, and he observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. All of these things are forbidden. And he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And if that's not bad enough, if you come on down to verse 16, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood. And if you read the history, if you read the whole thing, it wasn't just the children. He got Israel sacrificing their children to the god Molech. He also had many of the prophets killed. Remember Jezebel, who killed the prophets of the Lord? One guy had, I can't remember his name, but one guy had, he hid a bunch of them in a cave, or they'd all been killed, because Jezebel was going to kill them all. Well, Manasseh killed a lot of them. Some of these, you read, you read that, and when I read it this time, it was like I'd never read it before. It's like the Godfather type stuff. I mean, some of these kings, when they would become king, they'd have all their brothers and sisters killed. Just so there wouldn't be any chance they'd try and become heir, you know, take over the throne. It's Godfather type stuff. Yeah, Solomon too, sadly. Solomon actually got this started. I mean, I, I hate to say this, but he's the one 
that introduced, God forbade them to take wives of these pagan nations. And it wasn't a race thing at all. He told them why. He says, they will turn your hearts to go after other gods. Solomon knew that. But it says Solomon loved many women. What is it? 700 wives and 300 concubines or maybe the other way around. As a lot of women. <laughs> and they turned his heart. Just exactly like God said. And he, he built altars not only to uh, Molech, but to other false gods as well. He started the ball rolling. Solomon, so he sowed the seeds for the destruction of the nation. Okay, so I read verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. We're not given a whole lot of detail. Besides his sin, wherewith he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he had many of the, many of the prophets killed. Now here's an amazing thing that you need to know about Manasseh. Manasseh was captured and spent time in prison in another land. And, but he repented. He actually repented. And the Lord accepted his repentance. Believe it or not, Manasseh. Which it plainly says he's the worst of them. <laughs> How good is our God? Don't tell me you've done too much and you've gone too far and it's too late for you. That's the devil. Because Manasseh. After all of this, repented. And the Lord took respect of it. And he said, alright, because of what he's, he's really repented, I'm not going to bring the evil during his lifetime. But I'm going to do it later. Now here's an amazing verse. I couldn't hardly believe this when I, when I saw this. So you might want to see this in your Bible. Look this one up. 2 Kings 24. Verses 1 through 4. Because Manasseh lived out his days, and he, of course he died. And then there's a new king, Jehoiakim, on the throne. But now this is when the judgment that God postponed, this is when it came. This is it. So in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him bands of the Chaldees, bands of the Syrians, bands of the Moabites, bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to do what? To destroy it. According to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servants, the prophets, surely at the commandment of the Lord came this upon Judah to remove them out of his sight. Why? For the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did, and also, now I would notice, and also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and I underline this next few words, which the Lord would not pardon. How often you see a word like that in the Bible? Which the Lord would not pardon. If he would not pardon what Manasseh did in the shedding of innocent blood. And judgment came. Dear God. After 60 to 70 million abortions, murders of children. 
We better pray, church. We better pray. This nation better wake up. It better turn. And it's got to start with the church. Judgment begins at the house of God. We got weak, need, milk, toast, panty, wasted preachers that won't stand up and say abortion is murder. What's wrong with you? Who's God? Who are you serving? Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Yeah, I but tell cancel my YouTube. My people might leave and quit giving money. What's wrong with you? And I know I'm looking at the camera and probably I'm preaching to the choir normally. The people that tune in here, they pretty they know the truth for the most part. But still my job and your job, pastor, teacher, apostle, is to stand up and declare the truth of the word of God, and I don't care where the chips fall. I don't care at all. Now I, I try I, I like today I've done every I've tried to keep it PG, but I am not going to water it down. We've got to know the truth. It's only the truth that makes us free. He filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. So let's, I'm going to go ahead and read this part. This portion is titled, (laughs) Passing Children Through the Fire. What is it? I want to just read to you word for word from Albert Barnes' commentary. He is a Greek scholar. I don't always agree with Albert. But Albert is an expert in many areas where I am not. And he's an expert in Hebrew and Greek. He's passed on a long time ago. And a lot of his commentary, I'll read it, but I don't necessarily agree with it. But when it's history, you can't argue with it. And when it's definitions, you can't argue with it. Of words. This, I told you that King Ahaz was the first one that we have record of in the Bible that we can tell for sure caused his own son to pass through the fire. So I'm going to read you the commentary on that. Where it says, and made his son to pass through the fire. Albert Barnes commentary says, Ahaz adopted the Moloch worship of the Ammonites and the Moabites and sacrificed at least one son most likely his firstborn, according to the horrible rites of those nations and of the Canaanite tribes. Up until now, apparently, the Jews had been guiltless of this abomination. They had been warned against it by Moses. And that's Deuteronomy 18.10. Now, some people think they practiced it in the wilderness. But even if they did, it must have been rare and exceptional. And most of them don't think they did. But from the date of their entrance into the promised land, they had completely put that practice away. Now, however, and he's talking about during the reign of Ahaz. Now, however, it became so frequent as to meet with the strongest protests from the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel. If you want to write these verses down where they protest against it, I'm not going to read these, but Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 2 and six, two through 6. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. 
Ezekiel 16, verse 20. I want to read these again in a minute. Ezekiel 20, verse 26. And Ezekiel 23, verse 27. Then it says, etc. So that's not exhaustive. I'll read it one more time because I see people trying to write them down. Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 31 and 32. Jeremiah 19, verses 2 through 6. Jeremiah 32, verse 35. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 20. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 26. And Ezekiel 23, verse 37. Then it says, etc. So there's more. Now, when God was giving Israel the law in Leviticus, he gave specific instructions regarding child sacrifice. You can look this up. You may want to turn to it now, but it's Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Again, thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the servant of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel. In other words, if you're going to live here, you're going to abide by this or else. That giveth any of his seed unto Molech. Now he's talking about sacrificing your children to this demon god, Molech. And you do that by causing them to pass through the fire. Okay? Anyone that does that, whether they're an Israelite or a stranger living here, well, he shall surely be put to death. Why? It's murder. We just read verse after verse after verse. It's murder. And the people of the, people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man. And will cut him off from among his people, because he hath given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. What he means by that, you call yourself by my name, and you're going to sacrifice your child. What are you telling the world about who I am? You profane my name. Don't you call yourself by my name and do something like that. Now get this, as if that's not severe enough. Because what if it's your close relative that did it? And if the people of the land do any ways hide their eyes from the man, when he giveth of his seed to Molech and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man. And against his family. And I'll cut them off. And all that go a whoring after him. To commit whoredom with Molech. He's not talking about sleeping with prostitutes here. He's talking about who commit that sin. Of offering your children. On the sacrifice. Not just that man. But anyone that tries to protect that man. You're just as guilty. little bit of science, tiny bit. Science and the Bible agree now. I did some research on this. I, wouldn't, I didn't even know it myself. This section is called... <laughs> if 
fetus-dna-human. All right, now here's a... Again, we'll have the references to these from the Internet in the description of the YouTube video. This one says this. At conception... Now, this is just science. At conception, the sperm and egg merge to create an independently functioning human organism distinctly different in function from a cell. See, Dave would always say, when does life begin? When does, when does that person become a person? He said, at the first cell division. Remember that? At conception. So they're saying the same thing. At this point, now get this, I did not know this. At this point, at, at conception, at the moment that the sperm and the egg unite, the DNA of that person is created. I mean in full. Distinct from every other human that exists or ever has existed or ever will exist. This completely distinctive DNA of that person is there at conception. Don't tell me that's not a human. Read that sentence again. At this point, all the DNA needed to make a person is present. And the organism starts undertaking the job of becoming a fully functioning human being. Get this part too. At conception, the chromosomes that decide the sex of the baby are present. At conception. We already did that lesson a week or two ago. You can have surgery. You can take hormone injections. You can do all of that stuff. You cannot change your chromosomes. You're either XX or XY, and also I found this out. Those chromosomes are in every cell of your body. Every eyelash has those chromosomes. Every man, every, every hair of your beard has your chromosomes in it. All right. I'm going to quote again and run for the car. Okay, and again, we'll we'll have all of these references at the website. I'm I'm just reading now. Legally, legally, causing a pregnant woman to miscarry in a car accident can cause the negligent party to be charged with wrongful death and or vehicular manslaughter. Isn't that right? She didn't die, but her baby died. She's pregnant. You can be charged with manslaughter. Lawyer Darwin easily explains, quote, In essence, this expansion recognized unborn babies as protectable beings by law. In other words, fetuses were granted legal personhood and are protected by the same laws that protect all people. In Scripture, John the Baptist leapt for joy inside his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary, pregnant with Jesus, came to visit. Both unborn John and his mother recognized that the person of unborn Jesus was present and that he was significant. This could not be the case if personhood did not occur during pregnancy and even early during pregnancy because Elizabeth was about six months along and Mary was very newly pregnant. Scientifically, 
there is no point during pregnancy that can be looked at as the clear time a fetus or an embryo becomes a human being. The defining moment is conception with a gradual process following afterward. Legally, the death of a fetus is counted as a human death and is protected by law except when killed through abortion. We've done that. Man has done that. But scripturally, both a less than three-week-old embryo, Jesus, and a six-month-old fetus, John the Baptist, were shown to have legitimate personhood. Considering these sources, conception is the most logical time to assign an embryo human being status. The truth will make you free. We're restoring the foundations. We must know the truth. We'll see you in 30 minutes.